Welcome to Oh No, Ross and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, claims of the paranormal. No, no, no. We take part ourselves. Yep. When they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Carrie Poppy. And I'm Ross Blotcher. And I know what you're expecting. It's the last episode of 2023. Mm-hmm. You're ready for us to review the year and all the previous predictions. But no. <laughs> yeah, no. Was, no. Yeah, we're... we're <laughs> We're upsetting expectations. <laughs> I, I was looking for some good way to rationalize why we're doing this. But it's coming. It's coming. Yeah, we'll review the year and we'll look forward to the year ahead and what the prognosticators have to say about it. I had a migraine for two days. It screwed us up. Sorry. <laughs> but and a lot of squirrely psychics. Yes. We're trying to get our 2024 readings and... What we're if, having a weird amount of trouble. Both of us have been like rebuffed multiple times and not because we're <laughs> podcasters. Yeah, I know. Weird. Well, that no. we know of. Well. They are psychic. But in the meantime, we have this great interview that I've been excited to share for a while. Uh, this was recorded at SciCon 2023 with me and Kenny Biddle. Yes, Kenny Biddle. He's the chief investigator at the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry, and he's a fellow at CSI. Yeah, and as you'll see, a top-notch paranormal investigator. Uh, really fun just to pick his brain. Yeah, I'm, I'm stoked to hear this. I, I love all the things that they do at CSI. It's, yeah. a, it's a great organization. They make Skeptical Inquirer. Great the magazine, magazine. Which you've written for. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. And our friend Stephen Hupp is now the editor-in-chief of. Yeah, yeah. exciting stuff Hey, there. Stephen, what's up? So, I can't believe I've never done that before. What's up? Yeah. (laughs) I can't believe I've never done that before. That will be now the official way to greet him. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Uh, Here's the interview. Welcome to the show, Kenny Biddle. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited. This is like my bucket list. Uh, I'm excited too. All right, so Kenny Biddle, what is the official title? You're a investigator. Chief investigator. Chief investigator at Skeptical Inquirer at Center for Inquiry. So the, the full official title is Chief Investigator for CSI. Committee for Skeptical Inquiry. Okay. Yeah, and, and that puts out Skeptical Inquiry magazine. Uh, used to be PSYCOP, which was right. co-founded by Carl Sagan. Paul Jan- Kurtz. Paul Kurtz, yeah. of course. Yeah. And James Randi. James Randi. Isaac Asimov. Yes. So this goes back a long time. This is later, Ross. Just wanted to interrupt real quick to put Kenny and myself out of our misery because we were like <laughs> trying to come up with all of the names. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna summarize here. So okay. the initial group that Psychop was based on was formed by, of course, Paul Kurtz. Of course. And Marcelo Truzzi. Okay. But yeah, th- this is a new name to me, I think. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't involved with later iterations of the group. Okay. But then you had all these other folks that we mentioned, James Randi, Isaac Asimov, Carl Sagan, but also Martin Gardner. I love Martin Gardner. Ray Hyman. Great. B.F. Skinner. Great. Your old buddy. <laughs> Long and storied history. Philip Class, a noted UFO skeptic. It was a really impressive group. Nice. Uh, So there we go. That'll save you and us a bit of work. (laughs) Back to the interview. Well, you tell us a bit about the mission of the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry. So they started in 1976, and basically they started out going against claims of the paranormal. Mm -hmm. So psychics, psychic readings, horoscopes, all kinds of weird stuff out there. Healing, faith healing, 
especially faith healing. Yeah. Yes. It grew from there. It, it really grew over the years, and they had more people involved, and they spread out. Right. Med got into different kinds of sciences and just giving the public a lot more information about science, diving into politics, diving into religious aspects, yeah. and just covering a lot from a more skeptical and scientific point of view. And anything that has a testable claim attached yes. to it falls within the purview. Exactly. Exactly. If and we can test it. Yeah. We look into it. Well, and I feel like Carrie and I are very closely tied to CSI and also CFI, which is the Center for Inquiry. Yes. (laughs) I know. It gets confusing. Ah! I mean, I thought I I was so ready for this. I am advocating for going back to PSYCOP. Yeah, that, I just that was like a great that. name. I like that name. Committee for Scientific Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal. Yes. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, we've often told our origin story, how Carrie and I met, and it was at the CFI in Los Angeles awesome. at uh, both the lectures and the book club there. And then for many years, I've been part of the IIG, as mm-hmm. it was called then, the Independent Investigations Group. But now it's very dependent on <laughs> CFI. <laughs> so now it's the Center for Inquiry Investigations Group. Yes. And um, we'll have more to say about that later. Anyways, just kind of drawing the connection there. And of course, the fact that you and I are right now meeting together at PsyCon. Yes. <laughs> yes, we are. You got all the acronyms straight, everybody? Yeah. I hope you're paying attention at home. All right. Well, that was all very clinical, but now we know who we are. You should put a scorecard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bingo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, why I'm excited to talk to you is because I think you are, I got to say, the best out there when it comes to paranormal investigation. Wow. Like I would say, you know, if you have a claim that needs investigating, be it a, a ghost that showed up on camera or, you know, or an angel appearing at the hospital, what have you, I would call in Kenny Biddle. I would want to get your backup on, you know, how do we analyze this photo or this video? Because uh, you have this great mind for not only the technical aspects of how photography and videography work, you chase down those, the original equipment, right. but also I think you have a really good understanding of the psychology and where people are coming from and what it is that might draw them to see these images. That's why I'm really excited to be talking to you. Oh, man. Okay. Well, let's let's just get into it. <laughs> you're, There's... Making, you're, you're making me blush. I feel so <laughs> humble here. Like, this is awesome. Well, I know you have like a really interesting backstory. You weren't always a skeptic. Right. Tell us a bit about the earlier Kenny Biddle of uh, how many years ago are we talking about? Ooh, we're talking like around 1997. That's when I got married. It really, everything started really falling into place. Then I've always had a belief. I grew up in the time of In Search Of, uh, Unsolved mm. Mysteries, yes. Sightings. Yep, watching all those X-Files. Yes. X-Files, of loved course. it. I still own, I own all the seasons, love it. <laughs> On DVD? Yes. Excellent. Love it. It was um, so fun to walk my son through that series. I have and he got into VHS it. VHS and DVDs. So, Nerd. Yeah, oh, yeah. And um, I think he, like I, had a big thing for Jillian Anderson, of course. I, all of us did. <laughs> I, I, I really think. She was the awesome nerd. I mean, they were both nerds. Mm-hmm. I don't know where we're going to get with this, but yeah. I like the kind of role reversal. Yes. Because right. you usually had shows like that. The where, woman is the sensitive type. Yes, and and the, the one that believes in psychic stuff. And the man is usually like, this is all bull crap. The, the hard nosed like rationalist. Yes. Having those roles switched, I think, was genius. Mm-hmm. And. The casting, genius. Well, and it's been shown since that there was a real Scully effect, which I think was working on me as well, even though I was a believer at that time. Even though they, they were clearly in a world that was fictional and had paranormal elements, 
her pushback on the things that Mulder was saying. I had a Scully effect as well, even though usually when you talk about that, that's women getting into STEM fields. Yes. Uh, yes. Anyways, you were saying the kind of stuff you were watching. That was, that was, (laughs) sorry, this whole conversation is going to be like this. We're both way too excited. (laughs) (laughs) This is how it's all going to go. So yeah, those kind of shows are what I I was watching and I love them. And I thought like, this is amazing. That's what I want to see. I want to see these stories. These stories are happening around the world. And I, I want to be a part of that. I want to get out there and see the Loch Ness Monster. Mm-hmm. I want to see aliens land down. Not the anal probe part. Um, <laughs> I just want to see the aliens land. I'll see it. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll watch that part. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'll let them know <laughs> if I ever see them. I wanted to see a ghost. I wanted to, to experience that. I wanted to see like stuff flying around the room mm-hmm. for a poltergeist. Yeah. You know? uh, and I love that kind of stuff. And so... As I got older, in 1997, that was like the pivotal time here when I went into ghost hunting because I got married that year, and as a gift for ourselves, we bought our first computer. Mm. This is dating the computer, but it came with <laughs> four megabytes of memory. Four megabytes. This is old school. Yeah, what are we talking about there? This is like compact? Oh, okay. Compact so it was Q? like a, yeah. let's not get off on that rabbit yes, trail unless not. we've got Leonard Trammell in the oh, room Oh my or goodness, yeah. <laughs> I, I know somewhere in SciCon, he is like <laughs> looking up going, I hear my name. I hear my name. Yeah. We got our computer, got online after some upgrades mm-hmm. um, because there, this new thing called the World Wide Web, you know, I wanted to get on it start reaching out and one of the first things I looked up was ghost hunting groups mm-hmm. you know or who did it in my area because you saw it on TV you saw on the shows they would bring in like Hans Holzer or, or somebody else like that and I was like these are people that are actually doing this yeah. I want to try it so I found a local group and I joined them and we went to cemeteries. We went to historic places like the Betsy Ross House because I mm-hmm. grew up in Philly. We she, went. She that designed the the flag. Made Allegedly, the, yeah. There's more to that there's story. There's more. There's a lot more to that story. Okay. She didn't do it. Okay. And anyway, <laughs> so we went to those places and we went after hours because everything happened in the dark. Right. You know? Why? Why question that logic? <laughs> and, and Ross has a look of like contemplation on it. Yeah. Like, hmm. Why? Why wouldn't the same things happen during the daytime? Well, that's the funny thing. Our ghost crepuscular. The witness stories that we were getting mm-hmm. from the business owners and the homeowners. Most of the stuff happened during the day. Okay. But we were showing why up at night. That. Yeah. It's easier to scare yourself at night. Right. Right. And you know, you turn the lights out. You can't see. It makes it all spooky. Uh, so I went around with them for a while, mm-hmm. and I learned. I guess the tribal knowledge kind of way, because Mm. I was there, I was with them. I didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. This was before I was any kind of skeptical. I grew up Catholic. Okay, uh, I was was going to ask if there was a religious component. Yes. So my mother is Catholic. My father is not, but I was raised Catholic. Okay. So I had that belief that there was an afterlife, but it was more like heaven and hell Mm -hmm. and purgatory, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I already had that belief. It was already there. Ghosts were not a next step. It was just a sidestep because they existed. Because you have ghosts in the Bible. You have people claiming that they have ghosts. Even my mother thought that she had felt like her father after he passed away. Yeah, as a real Bible literalist myself, at the time I remember reading stories like The Witch of Endor. Yeah. And being like, okay, what do I do with that? That tells us (laughs) that somehow spirits can come back and give truthful information. Right. So I just started ghost hunting with this group, going out and thinking that the pictures of these little balls of light were ghosts, Mm -hmm. uh, that these misty forms were ghosts. and Taking EVP recordings. EVPs on cassette recorders. Yeah. Because we didn't have digital yet. They came, like, as soon as I started getting into the hobby, 
that's when the first Panasonic digital IC recorder came out. <laughs> Are you looking for EVPs? No, I'm just, <laughs> you know what? I'll ask later. Okay. Is anyone in the room with us? You, you saying that reminded me I should be doing a backup recording. Oh. <laughs> so I okay. put out the recorder. Uh, we're talking about it and there comes a recorder from his pocket. I'm like, wow, he's all ready to go. <laughs> that, that's great. But yeah, um, yeah, I remember excitedly pulling up audio files and like learning that Media Player would let me play them backwards. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, because that was standard. Mm-hmm. I remember being in Catholic school and a nun coming into the classroom with a record player with like ACDC or... Yep. Um, uh, what was the big one? Um, Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin, yeah. yeah. And purposely playing it backwards. Mm, mm-hmm. And now that I think about it, like I actually haven't thought about this until right now. The way she picked out the phrases that she claimed it was saying was exactly how I see ghost hunters do it today. Oh. Because they're, they hear what they want to hear. Yeah. And I'm listening going, I don't hear anything. Okay, but then she primes you and says, did you hear when right. he said... Exactly. She would play it first. Sweet, sweet Satan, did you hear that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now that you say sweet, sweet Satan. Okay. Yeah, and then I I hear, oh my God, yeah, I guess that kind of, and then they play it again For a younger generation, you might not know what a big deal backmasking was at the time. (laughs) This was a big part of the satanic panic that you and I grew up with. This idea that secret messages were encoded in music backwards. There's no underlying explanation for why that would even work or why our brains would pick up on that and decode it. Right. But uh, that was the belief. Yeah, and you didn't even wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I went home. That's the first thing I did. Went home, put all my records on the record player and played them backwards, <laughs> like waiting to hear. And it really depended on the speed. Because mm-hmm. if you slowed it down or you were too fast, you didn't hear anything. It was gone. But yeah. right yeah. speed... It was there. <laughs> so, yeah, we had EVPs, we had EMF meters, and we had the Dr. Gauze EMF meters. Okay. So it had a, a 1 to 10 scale on it mm. for milligauze. Okay. I think 1 to 3 was colored green because that was good. Mm-hmm. And then 3 to 7 was yellow, and then 7 That's to 10 middling. was red. Yeah. But I was always told that if the meter went into the yellow, hmm. that was a ghost. Oh, and green and means? Green means... It's probably electrical. Okay. Red means probably electrical. Okay. Yellow, which yeah, is in the middle. That's the sweet spot. That's, okay. That's it. All right. As long as you didn't walk any further <laughs> to Stop the electrical there. source, <laughs> you were fine. But that's one of the first things that I, I picked up on. And like, about how big was this group? Uh, we're talking about six, seven people. And how often were you getting together? Maybe like every other week. Okay. And just going out to different places. But I picture the quintessential ghost hunter that you see now on so many TV shows, this proliferation of media of ghost hunters. And I think that you kind of matched the mold at the time of someone who has a, a day job. But they have this big hobby that involves a lot of fun equipment, cameras, a lot of uh, various sensors that beep and make noises and flashlights. All of which I had no idea how to use. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You were learning on the job, so to speak, from your other friends. Yeah. I like how you say that, so to speak, because that's – I wasn't really learning. Okay. I was learning 
a method, Mm -hmm. but not the correct method. This is like where people often say, practice doesn't make perfect, practice makes permanent. You know, like you can can enforce the wrong thing. Exactly. And that's what it was. I mean, that idea that if your EMF meter, which can be set off by any kind of electrical wiring, lights, a two-way radio, Mm -hmm. whatever, if it went into the yellow at any point, it was a ghost. That's what I was taught. That's what I believed because I already had that belief. So I was like, okay. Without having to understand the underlying mechanism of why that yellow range somehow is tied to a ghostly presence. Right. And the, the excuse or the explanation was always, it always sounded made up. It's because the ghosts have energy mm-hmm. and their energy is what makes the meters go off. All right. Yeah. Those are words and they can, exactly. they can stand in the gap as long as you need them to. That's it. That's the <laughs> gap. Because I never asked, at the time, I didn't ask wh- what kind of energy. Never asked that. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, okay. It's some kind of energy. Yeah. It sounded good to me. It's bioenergy. Oh, thanks. Okay. I oh, feel better now. Got it. Got it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So after going with them for a while, basically I, I went for them for a long time and then I formed my own group, my mm-hmm. own ghost hunting group. And we had fun. We did the same thing. I was trying to be more methodical. You know, I really had, I had seven page form for interviews where I asked all kinds of questions and then eventually we went to a conference in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Okay. And that's where my world changed. Okay. My world literally changed. We were at a conference, ghost hunting conference. How many score was that ago? Oh, four score. <laughs> Let, <laughs> that was 2004. Oh, so that was oh, just one year shy of a score. Oh, oh so, okay. All right. Well, it's Gettysburg. That's how we count years when okay. we're talking about Gettysburg. So I, I'm at this conference and we're... we're having fun. We're with a bunch of friends and it's one of those feelings where you're with like-minded people. Mm-hmm. I could speak freely about my beliefs and everyone was like, oh, cool. Everyone accepted it. No one questioned mm-hmm. at all, which is kind of fun when you're ignorant of anything else. But it's not going to be an inciting incident. No. So I listened to some of the stories. We talked to some rangers, found out that there was a secret spot on the battlefield where the rangers didn't go. They didn't want to go because it was so scary, so haunted. They just avoided it. And I was like, all right, cool. It's a little patch of woods. It's next to a open field called the Wheat Field. Okay. We can go in this little patch of woods. No one would see us. It would be dark, quiet, awesome. So one night after the conference, we went over there. There's like six or seven of us, mm-hmm. and we're chilling. Nothing's happening, but we're still waiting for something to happen. And I look out through the woods into the open field, And there's a road that runs along it. Mm -hmm. And here comes three cars. Three cars pull over at the open field because there was like a tourist spot there um, where you could pull over and you play like an audio tour. Because everyone's thinking about the Confederate and Union soldiers that battled here and their spirits that are wandering about. Everyone's looking for the the ghost of the soldiers. Mm -hmm. So I see people get out of the cars Mm -hmm. and they have flashlights, they have laser pointers. Because that was when the thermal guns, the temperature guns, infrared temperature guns came out and they were very popular and they all had the little laser with it. Yep. So like any kid. <laughs> An- another key tool in the belt of any paranormal researcher, the little heat measuring heat gun. gun yeah. Yes. They had those. I see lasers going all over. I like these the two rival paranormal gangs showing up. <laughs> I feel like there's going to be a rumble. but <laughs> The jets and the sharks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> showing up. <laughs> Oh my, oh, we're having so much fun with this. So I see them get out, they go up into the field, and I'm not really thinking much about it. 
until they turn, change direction, starts coming towards us. Mm -hmm. And now I'm getting worried because we're here, we're hidden. They don't know we're here. So we need to break this easy to them so we don't startle them. Yeah, that would probably have been better. Okay. That's not the way I went. Okay. (laughs) I waited because I was hoping maybe they would just stop, turn around, leave, whatever. Never know you were there. They got closer. They got louder. And I got angry because at the time, ghost hunters were very territorial. (laughs) Some still are. Okay. But I was definitely, this was my spot. I didn't want them coming in here. Okay. So I didn't want them finding us and saying, oh, hey, we're ghost hunters too. Let's join Join you. forces. No. Yeah. I want all the credit from ourselves if we find it. Want to be able to it. publish. Yeah, yes. whatever happens. Publish. That's <laughs> We can talk about that in a minute. Um, so I finally hit my breaking point and I marched out of the woods and started screaming at them. Like, get out. And I don't remember what I said. Basically... Get the fuck out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get away. You're spoiling it. This is our spot. Go away. They stopped, turned around, ran back to the cars. Got in the cars, drove away. Okay, so hey, effective. Uh, yeah, mission accomplished. Okay. I'm done. Went back in to my little patch of woods, finished out the night. Nothing happened. Right. Went home. Went back to the, uh, our hotel room. Get up in the morning, go down to the hotel lobby, and we start talking to everyone, and we find out. Somebody saw an apparition last night. Oh, do tell. I know. I was like, tell me about it. <laughs> Asking questions. Yeah. Oh. And they were like, hey, it was last night on the battlefield. It was by the wheat field. Wait, that's where I was. Exactly. Why did I miss this? It was about seven o'clock or so. That's what time I was there. Then they said this huge guy, this soldier came out of the woods, <laughs> appeared. Sergeant out of the Kenny Biddle. Yes. <laughs> And started yelling at them, but they could not understand what was being said. Just go away. That's when it clicked. Like, I think this is me. So I said that. Yeah, yeah. I am the Scooby-Doo villain. You take off the... My mask is coming off. I'm pulling it off myself. Right. And they said no. And I said, well, you came up in three cars. You got out. You had flashlights. Identifying details? Yes. No. Wasn't you. I said, I marched out of the woods and I described the spot. There's a monument uh, with two cannons. We were right across from that. Well, yeah, but that wasn't you. Wow. Okay. So you could you could see uh, them starting, wanting the story to be preserved more than I'm seeing. I, I'm not. I'm not even processing that yet. Okay. I'm processing. I'm trying to process the idea that I'm telling you the truth, mm-hmm. and you're saying no, and I can't get past that. So I kept pushing, and I'm. No, these are other details. Mm -hmm. This is what you were holding. This is what you were wearing. I remember you. You said this. And finally, one turns to me and goes, stop trying to steal our spotlight. Wow. And that was it. Like that, I I almost just jaw dropped, staring at them, and they just wanted the attention because people were all over them. Yeah, they were already getting the accolades. They were the center of- The spotlight was on them. Okay. They didn't want any shade. So I walked away from that experience- Thinking, ironically, I wasn't mad at them. Mm. My thought process was, I told them the truth. It solved that mystery. Mm -hmm. They ignored it because they wanted attention. They wanted to believe what they wanted to believe. How many times have I done that? Okay, you already realize, uh uh-oh, this might be an indictment on me as well. Right. That big mirror just popped in front of me and I'm staring at myself going, how did I do this? Did yeah, I do I mean, this? To your credit, other lessons could have been taken from that interaction, but that's that's great that you kind of took that extra step back 
to sort of see yourself yeah. in the the frame. I don't know how many people uh, experience this, but when I when I do something and screw up, mm-hmm. it really hits me hard. Like I get down on myself and I'm just extremely angry with myself for doing something wrong which I should have done better, which I should have known better. Mm-hmm. And that was the realization that I didn't do better. Mm-hmm. I should have known better, but I ignored it. Okay. I had gone into people's houses, told them that it was haunted. I told them they had ghosts. And yeah. then I packed up my equipment and I went home. I slept in my own bed. I left them with a fear of some weird entity in their now house. Now you're feeling the weight of that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. hit me hard. Yeah. And uh, that's when I started getting into more of the skeptical literature. I found Skeptical Inquirer okay. magazine. That's literally one of the first ones I found. Which you're now writing articles for. I know, right? <laughs> I found the work of Ben Radford yeah. and Joe Nickel. Yep. Started reading their work because they were doing this kind of investigation. And I realized how much I was doing wrong. I was not investigating anything. I was fear-mongering. Mm-hmm. I was going in there with a belief. Mm-hmm. I was looking only for things that supported that belief. Anomaly hunting with and, a, yes. a foregone conclusion. Yes. And mm-hmm. I had no idea what I was doing. Right. So all the, the equipment that we touched on and more, I was going in doing exactly what I saw on TV. Yeah. Yeah. If it beeped, it was a ghost. If it lit up, it was a ghost. Yeah. And that was it. That was the extent of my technical knowledge <laughs> of ghost hunting gadgets. All of this existing in that low information zone. Right. Where if, your brain can do the interpretation and turn it into something. Yes. If you didn't have that metallic sound mm-hmm. when you over-edited your audio clips. Yeah, yeah. Then, Cranked up the game. Oh, yeah. Played it yeah. backwards. And now it, it, it sounds like. Tinty. Now it, it sounds like. Yeah. And you're like, let's get out. Exactly. I, I just, it was a mind fuck, yeah. <laughs> basically. And, and I, I don't want, I'm trying not to drop too many F-bombs, but that's what it was. <laughs> it really hit me. I was doing so much wrong. I screwed up so many people's lives. How much anxiety did I cause by telling people, yeah, your house is haunted. And then I just left them to deal with it themselves, that idea themselves. Yeah. And now I see what was happening because I came in, we had matching shirts. Ghost hunting teams love, we have matching bowling shirts. Of course. Yeah. Of course. We came in with Pelican cases full of equipment. We (laughs) looked like we knew what we were doing. Hundreds of dollars of equipment. We looked like an authority. Yeah. And we were not. We were fools, to be honest. Hmm. And walked in as an authority. They saw us as an authority. We told them what we thought. They took it as concrete. And I screwed up a lot of people's lives, I think. And you're realizing... There's an emotional cost and impact yes. to what you were doing. Yeah. yeah. And and was the skeptical literature always kind of there on the periphery and you just finally decided to take a closer look at it or had you had a different reaction to it before? That's a good, that's a good question because being a ghost hunter at that time, and this is my personal experience, the people I knew in the ghost hunting community, we all had that idea that skeptics were evil. Mm-hmm. Skeptics were the bad people only trying to keep us down. We knew secret knowledge, and they were trying to keep everyone else from mm. finding out about it. And it sounds so conspiracy yeah. theory, doesn't it? <laughs> right. Chills with an agenda. Yes, that was it. Uh, scientists couldn't figure it out. They were embarrassed because they couldn't figure out what we were figuring out. Right. Almost like that. Not a snap of the finger. It okay. took several weeks, months okay. um, for me to realize what was going on. And Skeptical Inquirer actually was recommended by a friend of mine, huh. uh, two friends, uh, Andy and Tanya Kaiser good friends of mine that I, I've known for years, and they told me about Ben Radford and his work. Mm-hmm. So I started reading it. I picked up a copy. It was in the bookstore. Yeah. I picked up a copy, read it, and I was like, wow, he solved it. 
Do you remember which book it was? I don't. Okay, I know I he has don't. like a manual on paranormal investigations, well, but no, he has this many was books. Before the books. Okay. This was just in Skeptical Oh, Empire. right, one of the yeah. articles. Okay. One of the articles. Gotcha. And I don't remember which one it was, but it just hit me like, wow, this is what I need to be doing. The I world makes a lot more sense yes. now. Yes. Okay. And then I started getting into photography at the same time as a side job. Mm-hmm. So I started doing like family portraits and product photography and stuff like that. And that was giving me more insight into how light interacts with the camera. Yes. And with you're the- realizing, oh, these things that I'm trying to get rid of or prevent in my photos because they're errors or glitches or yes. <laughs> reflections are things I don't want. I know what I would have thought of those before. Yes. So your additional knowledge was further reinforcing this the, assessment. The, the, yeah. And building my my knowledge base, and now I was looking at photos going, oh, yeah, that's not an, a spirit orb. That is a speck of dust. Mm-hmm. And now I can tell why it's a speck of dust uh, because I'm looking at certain characteristics, and I can mm-hmm. see it, and I can match it up with this one. It's in multiple pictures in the same spot. It's on the lens. Oh, yes. it's moved. So it was somewhere in the environment. Exactly. Exactly. These kinds of analyses. And even uh, something as, as strange as frosty breath. Hmm. You think it would just look like regular mist, but when your film mist that's at a distance... Out of focus. Yes, that's exactly it. You get that fuzziness Mm -hmm. that comes with the out of focus because it's right up at the lens instead of focused on something like 10 feet away. Ah, darn. It's not ectoplasm. (laughs) You know what? That's something that actually came... As I started to learn more about photography and realized about these ecto mists Mm -hmm. that we were getting... And that ectoplasm was actually something completely different. (laughs) (laughs) And and when you had the Victorian seances, which I actually have some of that ectoplasm Mm -hmm. uh, in in the Center for Inquiry. Oh, like the cheesecloth variety? I made some. Nice. I made made my own and it looks great. Fantastic. It looks great. Uh, I love how uh, from a certain era, you had so many like ghost trails that were camera straps. But now people take photos Without those little camera straps, yes, that were on all the you know the tiny point and shoot cameras, right, right. so you just don't get that kind of image you don't get anymore. Them. You don't get them anymore. The only time you see them anymore is then when the like a television show says, "Oh, they started getting pictures back in the '80s and the '90s," and they'll show the portrait, and the telltale sign is because people usually turn the camera to the portrait way. <laughs> so not landscape where it's longer left to right. Now you've got this dangling thing yes. on the move. And they never put it around their wrist. Yep. Or even when they did, depending on how long it was, right. it fell right in front of the lens. It's so dependent on the technology where there were like also a bunch of effects that were unique to the Polaroid. Yes. Or like the ability to go in like right after you'd snap the picture or actually before and maybe like use a cotton swab and like write a message or something. Right. I, I remember having a personal friend who was really swayed by these photos with words in English that showed up imposed over the image. And I was trying to tell him like, uh, you can do that on a Polaroid. You, you want yeah. me to show you? No. <laughs> you could even double expose on a, a Polaroid camera. Oh, really? There was a way to do it where you had the, the front door, the loading door. Yeah. It was open. You would keep it open, but press it closed a little bit, and as soon as you hit the shutter button, you'd open it Oh, so it wouldn't eject the slide. Oh, my goodness. And then you would take another picture with it, and you'd have a double exposure. And in fact... Oh, crazy. My uh, CFI's outreach coordinator, Eric Shaver, he works in the office next to me. He purchased a Polaroid camera mm-hmm. and put film in it and found out that it takes double exposures by itself because it only spits out a picture every other time he hits the shutter. What? So it's an internal mechanism. <laughs> it's, it's not supposed to do that. Yeah, it was it's a glitch, broken. But 
a perfect tool for the ghost. Me, yeah, he sent me pictures. Hunters. Because um, we, we go back and forth. We buy vintage cameras. Oh, yeah. Oh, you've got such a collection. It's amazing. I, oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. But he sent me pictures one weekend. He's like, hey, I picked up this camera, this Polaroid. Is this supposed to happen? Mm-hmm. And he showed – he took pictures of the Polaroid images that came out. Amazing. Because going farther back to plate photography, you had yeah. this long tradition in the late 1800s and early 1900s of spirit photography mm-hmm. where people would sit for a photo and then the photographer would later on then plunk down a, right. a doll or another child or something and, and add this ghostly figure that would show up in the, right. the image. And a, a lot of them, the photographer, especially if you had like William Mumler, uh, he was the first one that really publicized it. Okay. And it's speculated that he would visit people's homes and then he would pre-shoot the, the plate. So he'd have the image of the family member already on the plate. Ready there. Knowing where it was. Mm-hmm. So he then could load the Then compose the rest of the photograph yes. accordingly. Right. I mean, he did a good job because he fooled a lot of people. Yeah. But then... We're talking about two different phenomena here. The knowing fraud and just accidental. chance accidents yes. that show yeah. up. Yeah. Where were we? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you were talking about gaining this photography Um, experience. And and I think this is key because it's so easy to say, oops, I was wrong about that. Let's move on and do something completely different. Yeah. I wanted to know more about, I wanted to know how these anomalies were captured. So I would practice and over and over again, what makes orbs, what makes mist, what makes the camera strap thing, Mm -hmm. how to make a good double exposure. By reproducing it. Right. Yeah. By reproducing it. And the reason I started collecting all these vintage cameras that I have is because people were using different cameras and saying, well, you're using that camera. It's probably easier with that one, but I have this one over here (laughs) and I would go buy that camera. Okay. And do it. Yeah. And say, here, I just did it with your camera. Mm-hmm. And I make a habit of that with anything. When I test a new ghost gadget yeah. and they're using a certain EMF meter, even though most of them do the same exact thing, I will order that meter that I see. Now, you have the coolest office of anyone I've seen because you, you, it's just covered. Every <laughs> shelf all around you is covered in nerd memorabilia, but also like all these cameras and equipment and ghost meters and stuff. Uh, do you have a rough estimate of how many cameras are in your possession? I have probably about 300 some cameras <laughs> okay. um, ranging from 1904. That's the earliest one that I have all the way up to modern, modern. cameras. Okay. Um, I have a large collection of Polaroids and not talking just the rainbow camera, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite. That's the one I grew up with. Yeah. I have all the versions of the rainbow camera, which is like there's a black face one, there's a gray face one, one called the button, all kinds of different colors. And then I have the older cameras, the older Polaroids, which were the accordion style. Mm. And I, Oh, wow. I, yeah. I, yeah, I love them. I even have two of the SX-70 original folding cameras, wow. um, which were, that was a big deal. That was your first time when you actually used the cartridge to go in and it spit it out. So Polaroid used to have film where you loaded the cartridge in the back and it was more of a process. You took the picture, you had to rip out this piece of film. Okay. You had to wait like a minute or so, depending on the temperature. There was a, a graph on the back that told you like the ambient temperature and then how long you had to wait oh, before wow. you peeled it apart. And then you got an image and that was it. No negative, you just got the image. Okay. And then when the SX-70 was released... Don't quote me on this, but I, I think it's 1971 or so. I forget the date. Like Kenny Biddle says, it was 1971. Oh, wait. I was not supposed to quote you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> but when the, yeah, the SX-70 was released, 
it was the first time you had the front-loading cassette. Okay. And that's your... That's the noise. So shake it like a Polaroid picture, but yeah, that never but actually never did anything. Yeah, but never shake it. Yes. Never shake a baby, never shake a Polaroid picture. That's right. But you had... it, it Sorry, down. Andre 3000. It, it was a funky-looking, like, triangular shape. Oh, fascinating. But it folded down into what looked like a small pocketbook. Okay. And it was it was a That's pocket cool. camera. You That's actually really cool. put it in your suit coat. Okay. And then you pulled the the viewfinder, you pulled it up and it was like a transformer. Yeah. Boom, you had yeah. a camera. And it was like really cool. But that's so great because like you were saying, you know from experience in your collection and from trying all these things, which cameras produced which effects. Yes. And the SX70, I got that because that was used for the uh, Doris Bither case, the entity case. Oh, okay. Um, so the, there was a film called The Entity yeah. based on a book called The Entity. And then that was based on a real life, quote unquote, uh, poltergeist okay. that happened. And it's very involved, but... It's um, always fascinating to learn details about the original cases that these extrapolated grandiose yes. stories are based on the ones that all of society knows about, like the Amityville horror and um, the Annabelle doll yes. being a raggedy Ann. I remember <laughs> learning that and going, what? That is so less dramatic than I what I had in my mind. An interesting fact. Yeah. So the, the Annabelle doll is kept, it's kept in a ridiculous enclosure. Okay. It's a wooden and glass enclosure that's <laughs> supposed to house this doll that everyone thinks is possessed by some kind of demon or something like that. And it just boggles my mind first that this tiny flimsy case is holding this demonic doll uh-huh. in place. Uh-huh. That's just silly. Sure. But when you go back and read the book um, by Ed and Lorraine Warren, mm-hmm. and I really don't like bringing them up because I don't like them, but when you read the book- Boy, were they troublemakers. That they published- and they published that story yeah. the first time. Ed writes in there that the doll is not possessed. It never was. Oh, wow. That dolls don't get possessed. It was just used as a prop to get attention. That's it. So oh. there's nothing demonic or anything about that from the guy's mouth. Wild. From himself. But yet it uh, still has this. Until m- it landed in the, the popular yeah. consciousness. Yeah. Then it becomes all scary. Yep. It's just a freaking doll. Amazing. <laughs> so you spent time just as an avid photographer. Were you active in any way in trying to uh, like either join a skeptical group or be an activist of some sort or did that come much later? I, I think I was trying to do my own my own way. Mm-hmm. I, I knew about Skeptical Inquirer. I didn't realize CFI was there or PSYCOP was there. Yeah. It was just like, this is a magazine. It does that thing. That's cool. But I didn't really go beyond that. Well, I remember for years I was involved with the Skeptic Society in in Pasadena, and that's where I learned about skepticism and eventually left my faith. But I remember listening to Point of Inquiry for years before I noticed they mentioned CFI Los Angeles at the time, now CFI West. And I went, wait, what? There's one in town? (laughs) So that became my new home because they had so much going on there. It really came down in... I got to give credit to Ben Rafford again, which I don't want to. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. You I love very you, Ben. Hesitant there. But damn. Uh, a friend of mine, I wrote, I wrote a book, a self-published book. Yeah. And it was called Orbs of Dust. And it was about the photographic anomalies. Mm-hmm. And basically, oh, crap. I'm going to bring up the Warrens again. Um, <laughs> I watched a video from their Connecticut case. Yeah. And it's a video that Ed shot. He went back into the home apparently by himself because he wanted to, quote-unquote, confront the demon. All right. So he has a video camera set up on the kitchen table and chairs, and he's calling out, like, in the name of Jesus Christ, tell me your name. Show me a sign that you're here. And the chairs move. 
Okay. Chairs move towards him. Okay. And he's the only one. He's the only one there. Again, we're taking his word for it, but okay. Yeah. yeah. He says it again. Table and chairs move. Again, towards him. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching this. Does it a third time. Comes towards him. And the chairs and Where the table. The ropes? Where are the any ropes? Any rotation is always as if you pull something. Okay. And I'm like, he's right there. It's coming right towards him, but not like, how do I say this? Like the chairs aren't just going one direction. They are converging. Yes. Where he is. There's a focal point. Yes. And I'm pretty sure that's because he was pulling string. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And it infuriated me. Yeah. So in one weekend, I wrote out this book. At this point, we are well past just happenstance, accident. This is pre-planned. I use the term book loosely because I just wrote everything that was coming out of my head. Mm -hmm. And I literally printed out pages. My wife, Mm -hmm. myself, and two friends of ours, we printed out all the pages, folded them, stapled them, cut them so all the pages were even, and we sold them at conferences. And it was it was fun, yeah. But it went into all these photographic anomalies and explained them. And the friends I mentioned earlier, uh, Andy and Tanya Kaiser, they sent one of those to Ben Radford, and he read it. He contacted me and said, "Hey, I can't write a review because it's not an actually published book. Okay, um, it's just something that I put together and, and put out there." But he's like. I can ask you to write something for the newsletter that we do, ah. which was Skeptical Briefs. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you know, that's cool. That was a learning process mm-hmm. because I had never written for a skeptical organization. This was new. This was new because as a ghost hunter and you write on your own website, you can write whatever the hell you want. Right. You don't have to support it. editors. Yes, no editors. Fact checking. So my grammar was horrible. <laughs> no fact checking. No citations, no references, nothing. Yeah. I sent him uh, something uh, about a case I worked on, and he sent it back saying, you need a lot more. And it was a good learning process. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate it now. It was, it was a struggle my first time, but I appreciate it now, the process, because I learned so much about how to write, what to write, what I needed to do in order to say some of the stuff that I was saying. And it was just, it took a yeah. few months, yeah. but eventually... He published my first article and I was like beyond the moon, you know, like, oh my God, there's my name. I got a newsletter in the mail and right there, that's me. So cool. So I did a few more for him and then I just started like, all right, this is something I really want to do. So, so I started writing more articles for not just Skeptical Inquirer, but just on a blog, getting it out there, making videos. And my early videos on YouTube, mm-hmm. I mean, as I think anyone that made a podcast yeah. knows your first 10, 20, whatever shows. I'm sure if I knew anybody who had made a podcast, they would probably yes. agree with that. They're horrible. They're horrible. <laughs> if I could and think I, of somebody. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're horrible. <laughs> uh, so eventually I did better. I, I realized, you know, like I don't have to be so in your face, more information be professional. I have met some smart people who have made a few episodes and then just like redone them or deleted them. Right. That is a smart way to go. Yes. I, I, didn't, I was not that smart. I, I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> like I, don't, I look at it and within a minute, I'm like, I can't believe I made this. Forget <laughs> No, I don't want anyone to see this ever again. So burn but, with fire. But then 2016, I was all into the skeptical movement. I knew a lot of the people. I mm-hmm. knew about James Randi. I had followed his work. I knew several people that are associated with it. And one of my goals was to meet Randy. Yeah. He had just had a stroke. He was scheduled to be at PsyCon You're like 2016. How many chances will I get? That's what I was worried about. Mm-hmm. Like, how much longer? I got to go. 
So my wife and I, like we planned a, the year in advance. As soon as the announcement came in, saved up our money, flew out here. Here being Vegas. Here being Vegas. Yes, I'm sorry. We're sitting in Vegas right now. And <laughs> in the glamour of, uh, I don't know, staff dining room. Staff dining room that's empty. Yeah. <laughs> and I came up the escalators, got into the lobby. The first thing I see, Randy. <sighs> and I starstruck. Yeah. And I walked up to him I like the, the fanboy I was. Yep. And I was like, hi, Mr. Randy, amazing. <laughs> Randy. <laughs> what do I call you? And he's looking at me and he's, you know, he's, he was stooped over looking up and like. You're holding the imaginary Let's cane. go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, but yeah, he loved the interaction. He loved it. And I said, hey, I, I saw that you made an announcement that if somebody wanted to come up and give you a hug, you would hug them. Can I, can I give you a hug? Can, <laughs> would you hug me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I get real nervous when I, when I. Of course. You know, I was like, oh my God, this is the guy like I've been looking up to him. And he's like, oh yeah, come here. Gives me a hug. And I was like, oh, yeah. It was so nice. Then I started meeting everyone. Yeah. I met Barry Carr, Mm -hmm. which I learned was the second time because I had met him a couple years earlier in D.C. Okay. Didn't realize who he was. Who you were talking to. Because I had met uh, Ben Rafford did a a talk in D.C. Mm -hmm. And I attended it. So I actually met Barry Carr, Jim Underdown there. We're all talking about members of the CFI family. Yes. Ben Rafford, of course. Jim Underdown, I've known for many years. He runs Center for Inquiry West and uh, runs the CFIIG, which we'll talk more about in just a bit. Yeah. Good good folks to know. It was great. That's the first time I met Susan Gerbic. Yes. Oh, she was. Uh, I was just telling a friend today. Like, really, she outpaces all of us in her. She range, does. She she's does. The Wikipedia Even then, and I, we've had her on the show. But she was great. Mm-hmm. Everyone was friendly. Everyone was great. I I met Mark Edward. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually taught me some things about pre-show work yeah. for mentalism, yeah. which yeah, I yeah. was wow. Like, <laughs> these people were really like it, They're it was sharing almost, knowledge. Yes. Yep. He was so amazing and. Uh, Basically, like taking me under his wing because I was so interested in what he was doing. Yeah. So I learned a lot. That's the cool thing about coming here is, uh, you know, I've seen all of those people you just mentioned this year. Yeah. I came back the next year as a guest because they wanted me to do a workshop. And yeah. I was like, wow. I, I remember that, that. That was like, I think I went what? to that one. Photographic anomalies. Yeah. And we, I, you were co-leading with Jim. Was it that one? It wasn't that one. Oh, okay. So, so I did that one was an before that one. About f- just photography. And at one point, I did the Pepper's Ghost effect. Nice. And I had little pieces of plexiglass for everyone. To get the reflection so you can have a superimposed image, but one exposure. I had them, because everyone was seated in rows. Yeah. So I had them put it up right to their face and put it on angle. Kenny's holding a, a plate of his hand so, between his eyes, yeah. and now he's rotated it. Like 45 degrees, mm-hmm. so that you were looking through the glass at the screen but you were also seeing the reflection on the screen of the, the person next to you. object that was 90 degrees yes. to your side. So we did that, and everyone was like, wow, this is awesome. Yeah. And it was, it was so good. I was so happy that I was able to teach these people that I thought were much smarter than I was. Mm-hmm. And it was just overwhelming. And I've been back ever since. Yeah. Been working here, did more stuff for them, writing articles for Skeptical Inquirer magazine. And meanwhile, you were also putting out YouTube videos yes. where you would take claims like a baby cam catching a ghost right. in the background. You did an excellent analysis of that and figuring out exactly A, which camera it was, yes. B, its capabilities and where it would like, you know, crunch values in its yeah. processing, and then C, exactly who and what it was in the background that was being mistaken as the ghost. And it was a member of the family, if I yes. remember. Yeah, it was the father. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of stuff. I guess learning... 
from everyone. And, and this is where it becomes a team effort because, and I appreciate what you said in the beginning, like how much you love my work. And I, and I totally appreciate that. And it was awesome. But it's not just me. Mm-hmm. Learning from all these people, again, Ben Rafford, Joe Nickel, yeah. they're the ones that really inspired me. Then learning from Randy. Then meeting everyone here and listening to you. Listening to your investigations help nice. me all the time nice. because I listen to because you have a different perspective than I do. We share a lot, mm-hmm. but you still have a slightly different one. And I learn from you when you tell your stories and your experiences and no, what you so did. Cool. Same for Susan Gerbic. I learn a lot from her. Yeah. Mark Edward. Yeah, yeah. Everyone that I meet here, it's just amazing. So it's a total team effort. Whenever I put out an article or a video, because the detail that I put into it, I've learned from everyone. Sorry, guys, hate to interrupt, but Ross, with 2024 coming up, do you have any resolutions related to fitness, nutrition, exercise, websites? Websites, um, yes. Self improvement. Oh, websites. Yeah, I've got self improvement to do to multiple websites. Mm. And uh, you know what? And my resolutions vary. Sometimes it's mm. 1920 by 1080, sometimes mm. it's like a, a vertical format on my phone. Mm-hmm. So I have so many resolutions mm-hmm. and I have websites. I I see who I set up here, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Why, what did you have in mind? I was just thinking that maybe in 2024, you wanted to make a resolution, meaning resolve to do something. Oh, right. Um, uh, That too. Like make a new website. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, if I was going to do that, it's so hard. Where do you start? You know what? I'd start with Squarespace. Ah, Ross. Yeah. What are you, do you run Mensa? How smart is this? Squarespace is so good. It is the all-in-one platform for building your brand, growing your business online. Uh, I mean, that sounds great. I'd love to stand out with a beautiful website, engage with my audience and sell anything, my products, content I create, even my time. Exactly. Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides. And they help maximize prominence among search results. Oh, that suite is so sweet. It also includes Squarespace extensions. Mm-hmm. So you can connect to vetted third-party tools to extend the functionality of your website. It also includes Fluid Engine, mm. the next-gen website design system from Squarespace. It's never been easier for anyone. And I mean anyone to unlock unbreakable and i mean unbreakable creativity start with a best in class and i mean best in class website template and customize every design detail with reimagined and i i mean reimagined drag and drop technology for desktop or mobile i know you're excited you've probably already pulled up squarespace.com to Mm -hmm. look at what it offers but you know what let's go back to the url bar you're gonna head to squarespace.com slash oh no to get your free trial. And when you think you're ready to launch, then you use the offer code oh no. And what happens, Carrie? You will save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. Make a website. It's going to be awesome. But also, Ross, while I have you here, we have a Jumbotron. A Jumbotron. Yay. It's where someone's message goes up on the big screen right behind us. Everyone can see us right now. This big podcast screen. Mm-hmm. But we'll read it just in case you can't see it. Yes, exactly. In case your eyes are turned away, this message is for Paulina Cheslick. From Christian Aparta. And it says, happy birthday, cousin. May your path be unbumpy as you make it through the next lidocaine variant trial. 
and lots of crafts, D&D, and fun times with Bombell. Bombell is apparently an enormous dog. Okay. Hello, Bombell. A, a cute, Hello. enormous dog. But I guess as far as Carrie is concerned, I repeat myself. <laughs> Touche. Yeah, it's categorical. Well, happy birthday, Paulina, and most importantly, Bombell, whenever your birthday may be. Oh, wait. But the screen is coughing to life again. Yeah, new message. It looks like this one is for Lisa. Yes. From Eric. Eric? Boy, these are unusual names. But yes, I think that's right. It says, happy 15th anniversary to Lisa from Eric. I hope we have another 50 more to share our quirky interests with each other, argue over trifles, and feel (laughs) safe in each other's company. Oh, that's really sweet. And their anniversary will be on January 2nd, 2024. So everybody on January 2nd, think of Lisa and Eric. Happy 15th. Woo! And listen to this Maximum Fun Show. Hey, this is Andrew Reich, the host of Dead Pilot Society, the show that takes comedy pilots that were sold and developed at networks and streamers but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. If you've never checked out Dead Pilot Society, this month's episode might be the place to start. The cast is incredible, headlined by the one and only Zoe Deschanel, and also featuring Paget Brewster, Michaela Watkins, Hamish Linklater, Asif Ali, and Maximum Fund's very own Hal Lublin. So go to MaximumFun.org or your favorite podcatcher and check out this incredible cast on the latest episode of Dead Pilot Society. And this is where I want to like get into some of your actual like investigations because you've done so many. This is such a big can of worms <laughs> that we could be doing that for, you know, four plus hours and we're not going to, obviously. <laughs> we got uh, party tonight. <laughs> neither of us have had dinner, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know, like maybe if you could share just a couple highlights. So there was a recent one that I did. Uh, it was a psychic that came across my social media feed. Mm-hmm. She claimed to be psychic and also a Reiki master mm-hmm. and a doctor. Okay. I was, when I hear those things together, that's a red flag. Yeah. Like, okay, let me look into this. The claim that she was making was that she helped find a missing teenager in Oklahoma. Okay. So missing person case. Uh, a teenager ran away from home. Nobody could find her. Uh, somebody reached out to her, I guess, and she drove to Oklahoma to help find this girl. And by the time, this is her words, by the time she left, she had the entire police department believing that she was psychic. Oh, wow. Because she had helped them find the girl. Or at least in her telling. Yes. That's key. <laughs> oh, <laughs> now I have to, okay, which police department was it? Okay, what's their number? <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. Who are you working with? What, who's an officer I could talk to? That's funny because I asked questions. Yeah. I saw the post and I did that. I said, hey, you know, I'm, can you tell me what the police department this was? Yeah. Because I'd like to call and verify. Mm-hmm. And the response was, what business is it of yours? <laughs> Which, mm. because I was working here for CSI, I was able to respond, it is my job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> literally, to look into this. Yeah. So I'd like to confirm this. Well, this is a, a fun fact about you, is that you are part of a very small group of full-time paid investigators of the paranormal. How many of those are there? Uh, as far as I know, right now, zero. Okay, <laughs> well, one. one. Yeah, you. <laughs> Me. Talking um, to him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I keep forgetting myself. <laughs> but yeah, so I do this full-time. This yeah. is what I do for a living. They didn't want to answer any of my questions. Okay. Um, they got very upset with me that I was questioning in this. So that only made me want to look into it more mm-hmm. because, yeah, you're hiding something. Let me look. So the first thing I did was look up newspaper articles. I was able to find the case through little clues that they had given me. Yeah. Found the detective <laughs> that was on the case. Wow. Yeah. Called the detective. 
mm-hmm. spoke to detective. <laughs> so you had to completely on your own without her yes. help narrow in on what we were yep. talking about. Okay, so uh, now you're called. Left you're on the, the horn. Left a message. He called me back the next morning. I spoke to him and I, I quote it right from her social media post. Uh, yeah. Do it, you feel this is an accurate yes. representation of how and things went down? He said no. Okay. And I was like, okay, good. And one of the great things, and I'm sure you're going to love this. One of the things that she had said was that the teenager was by water. Classic. This is, yes. if you're going to make uh, the SNL version or that Mitchell and Webb version, you're going to have the psychic say they're near water. Yes. That's about as uh, cliche as you can get. So I brought that quote up and he laughed <laughs> and said, son, we're a lake town. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything's by water. There's water all around. There's swamp. There's water everywhere. Mm-hmm. So you you can't walk anywhere without water. Yeah, yeah. I told him some of the other things that were said, and he's like, "No, that's not accurate. She did not give us any information that we did not already know." Okay. So I wrote an article about it, put in all the information, the quotes, everything. About two weeks later, I get an email from not the psychic, but her business partner. Oh, okay. In the form of a cease and desist letter. <laughs> oh, good luck with that. Which was not an official one, Okay, but demanding that I take down the article. Just hoping you'll be yes. somehow concerned about this. And threatening- Which sometimes works. The sue me. She was going to. She was going to file mm-hmm. a lawsuit against me and that she was going to inform my company and they're going to sue them too. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sitting at home watching Star Wars <laughs> because that's what I do. And I, I read it and I laughed. <laughs> I was like, ha, ha, ha. Put the phone down and my wife's like, what's up? I'm like, psychic's trying to sue me. She's like, oh, all right. And goes back to watch TV. <laughs> like we didn't think anything of it. I called Nick Little, was our legal counsel. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, yeah we've had him on the show too. Yeah. yeah. He's like, don't worry, I'll take care of this. <laughs> Came into work the next morning, talked to Barry. He's like, ha, ha, ha. Okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Within one email, Nick had nixed it. He wrote back saying, what specifically did he say that wasn't true, that you think you can sue for, this nice. and that? Like, really good, hardball. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. The lady responded once with no information. Okay. That I made fun of them that I mocked them, which I didn't, mm-hmm. just pointed out some facts. Yeah. Nick responded, what specifically? <laughs> and that was it. We didn't hear from them again. Yeah. I added that story to my presentation that I do here. Mm-hmm. When I started doing the presentation, I went back to her website to check up on, you know, let's see if there's any changes. Mm-hmm. And there were. Every reference to her missing person case was gone. Though you've uh, already either screen grabbed it or found it in the Internet Archive. Wayback Machine. Oh, yeah. yeah it's all there. <laughs> that's, that's like something. Such that, a great tool yes. for people wanting to catch psychics and others, changing their, yeah. their phrasing, their approach, their advertising. Absolutely. And, I mean, there was other information about her. Like, for, for seven years, she used the doctor title. Because of the Universal Life Church Doctor of Divinity okay. that she had. Wow. She eventually did get a, an actual doctorate. Oh, um, from a in diploma? In 2022 mill? from Capella University. I'm not familiar. So it's, it's an online university, okay. but it is an legit, okay. a legit university. Okay. Which is fine. Sure. But for seven years, she, she was didn't. using that title. She was using that title. And I think her main beef with me was that I called it a fake title, oh, which it's okay. a diploma mill title. And yeah. I mean, you pay 20 bucks and I yeah. sent her a picture of me and Eric Shaver, my coworker, with your holding doctorate. Yeah. <laughs> like we got it too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're not doctors. So that was one case that I worked on. Uh, what else? What else? There's so many. Um, there, there are so many. There was, oh, there was the interesting one that I, I did. It was the 1900 photograph. So it was a photograph taken in 1900 mm-hmm. and it was of a bunch of ladies 
that were together. They were mill workers. Uh, I forget exactly what they were doing, but they got together. And it's when you search for ghost photos, it's one of the more famous that shows up. Okay. Because you're looking at it, and it's probably about 15, 17 women and, and three levels. You look at the middle row, and on the side, there's the woman on the end. She's standing there, looks normal. And then you notice that on her right shoulder, there is a hand. Oh. But there is no body next to her. Interesting. Yes. That's fun. So I looked into it a little bit, and the closer I got to it, because I got a high-resolution copy of it. Yeah. Um, I could not figure out who actually owned it. Okay. I was able to find a, like one of those photo, um, like a photo website where they keep high resolution images. They own the rights to it. Yeah. But it wouldn't tell me who like owned Getty it. Photos yeah. Something like that. One of those. But so. it was a very high resolution. Okay. So I was able to get that and look closer at it. And the more I looked at the side of the woman with the hand on her shoulder, mm-hmm. the more I realized there was a different look to it. It was darker in some areas. Some just didn't look natural. Okay. Then it was. It reminded me of something called a crayon drawing or a crayon portrait, which is a. It looks like a real photograph. Okay. And it's a. It's a larger portrait. But what it is is you take a small like two by three image that mm-hmm. was taken, and you put it in something called a sun enlarger. Uh-huh. Uses the light of the sun uh-huh. to make an, a larger image of that, and it projects it onto a wall. But you put canvas there. So it projects the image onto a canvas, oh. and an artist comes in with charcoal or pencil and traces it. So part of it, I know it's probably difficult. Um, I, I don't know if I'm explaining it right. but Podcasts part, are great for talking about images, but we're doing okay, it. Okay, we're, we're doing <laughs> it. So like her, the side of her dress, the side of her head mm-hmm. of this woman that had the hand on her shoulder. So it's a real photograph, but that part, that side of her, opposite the hand. Mm-hmm. So this, when you're looking at the photo, it would be her right side. When I looked at it, it looked drawn in. Mm. And the closer I got, because then I put it under microscope to look at it closer, yeah. and it was drawn in. And that led me to understand that there was not only her side, but the dress of the girl behind her, which could be seen, was all drawn in. Oh. So I'm pretty sure, I can't prove it 100% because I don't have the original, but I think there was another woman there, and they took her out. Okay. Because there is something, they, they would edit photos back then. You use something called a retouching desk. And this was this is really getting into the vintage stuff. Yeah, I love yeah. it. But it was a vintage desk. It was a, a little desk. It unfolded. So you had almost like a Z, if you're looking at it from the side. Okay. The bottom would be a metallic plate that was reflective. The middle part, which you would work on, uh-huh. was opaque glass. Okay. So the light from the reflector would come... This is through that. kind of analogous to the animation process yes. for many years. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, and then the top cover was just a cover to block out the sunlight that was coming through the window. Uh-huh. And you would literally go through with a pen knife and scrape away the emulsion. And you could retouch photos. You could remove, like there's examples that I have in the article that I wrote yeah. of someone that had a neck tumor, like huge. It looks like a softball. And it was Painted out. They removed it completely, okay. and you you can barely interesting because you hear about airbrushing, maybe a later process. Yes, and artists would do like very exact knife cutouts of images and stitch them together. Before you had Photoshop, there were right. a lot of different ways. Uh, but I wasn't familiar with this crayon process. That's really this cool. is this is amazing. I mean, I didn't know about it either until I started looking into it. Yeah, and that was another time that Joe Nickel helped me because mm-hmm. he's well versed in this. So I had him come into the office and like, hey, I have this idea. I think this is what it is. And he's like, yeah, that's it. You got it. I was like, 
Yeah, I got approval. Amazing. You helped me out with another article because I remember when we were talking about the uh, gentleman psychic, he had been interviewed on a show and uh, shoot, it's one of the popular ones uh, and the name's escaping me at the moment, but uh, they were using this device and they kept picking up these background elements that would turn into like a little skeleton, like a wireframe skeleton of a human oh, being. The connect. Yes. yes. And so okay. reading your article uh, that helped me figure out, oh, they were using this connect sensor, Microsoft. Right. Xbox Connect, and then they were using that, and when it was just pointed at an empty area, it would get some false positives and think it saw a human right. being and create this, and they were interpreting that as being spirits in the room. That's a fun gadget to play with, because at first, I didn't know what it was. Then I started playing with it. I got one. You can hook the Connect to a laptop, mm-hmm. and you can download directly from Microsoft all the software for it, which okay. most people didn't realize. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if there was a legal issue with that or not, because certain ghost hunters, they were selling- Repackaging the Connect. The Connect with a tablet oh. with the software on it, okay. which was open source. As a ghost tool. So charging like three or $400 for it. And oh I, I was like, you can download the software for free. I don't know if they're <laughs> supposed to be doing that. Um, I, I'm not the legal guy, so yeah. I don't know. Send I'm Nick just, after them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, people were using this. And one of the first rules from Microsoft is put it on a stationary surface and leave it. Don't touch it. Because when you turn it on, the Connect actually goes up and down. It, it's motorized. It goes up and down, looks at the environment. Okay. And says, all right, I know what's here. But it and, expects that you're leaving it in a stationary position. Yes. Yes, so any stationary object will be stationary. Mm. If an object moves into the scene, it knows that's a player Mm -hmm. and assigns a skeleton to it, a a stick figure. Very sophisticated computing going on. Yes. However, if it's mounted to a handle and you're walking around an allegedly (laughs) haunted place, Uh everything is now in motion. Right. Nothing is stable. And just like our brains are programmed to recognize faces, it's programmed to recognize bodies. Yes, All types of bodies. So it has similar kind of, uh, I guess you might say, hallucinations like AI does or uh, pareidolia that it falls for because it sees random patterns and says, okay, how can I interpret this as a skeletal figure? Here you go. And it's it's using a speckle pattern. The the first version uses a speckle pattern. Mm. So if you watch the Paranormal Activity movie where they use the Xbox, that's what they see. It's thousands and thousands of dots, and it's all in specific pattern, Mm -hmm. and it's repeated. I think there's actually like six sections uh, where it repeats. Ah. So it knows where every dot is. So when it reads that, it can see either the dot is closer to the camera, farther away, Mm. or if the dot is elongated, it's going around a curve. Mm. So it knows. That's how it maps it out. Smart. It's but it, doing this so many times per second, yes. you know, 60, 120, something like that, so that it can track people's movements for yes. games and give real-time feedback. So it's good. It's good at this. Yeah. It still makes mistakes, though. Yes. It still can be fooled. Especially when it's not being used the way well, yeah, it's yeah. supposed to be. But it also would pick up, like, houseplants mm-hmm. um, if you had a chair in the way. It had a problem with people sitting down. And that was right from Microsoft. They said, like, if Hmm. you're sitting down and trying to play, it has a problem because it it doesn't see your thigh. Yeah, it doesn't know how to deal with that foreshortening. Yeah, and it's like, where's the other segment? So stand up when you play. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So it was making mistakes. And it was also seeing, like I said, plants and other things as stick figures. So it would occasionally pop up. But yet again, we're dealing in the low information zone. How can we kind of break this and create anomalies that we can then accentuate and re- exactly. tell stories about. And that's that's what happened. Ghost Hunters scooped it up. Yeah. They said, oh, we can use this. Look, we're getting ghosts everywhere. And we can interact with it because they would 
get into the scene and you would see them go close to the stick figure, mm-hmm. which could, it didn't have to be like on a plant or something. It could be on a wall fixture, but it, right. you don't get that depth. You don't know that it's on the wall 10 feet away from the, the camera. Mm-hmm. It just looks like it's in space. So if you got close to the stick figure, now let me, let me make that clear. Mm-hmm. When you came into the scene, you got a stick figure yes. because you're a player. Right. If your stick figure got near the other stick figure, mm-hmm. they didn't want to touch. And that's programmed from Microsoft because you're supposed to be two separate gamers. Right. So they would purposely, the stick figures would try to avoid touching each other. Yeah. So you had ghost hunters going into the scene <laughs> and reaching out to the hand, quote unquote And now hand, it's moving around to avoid them. The hand's coming back or it jumps out that tries to connect to form one big stick figure. Uh-huh. <laughs> so lots of flaws, lots of flaws with that. And people exploited that. But all of this is anomalies that yes. you can build on. I've always thought it would be fun to create a parody show of these ghost shows and just call it Anomaly Hunters. Because that's really what yeah, you're looking that's for. that's what you're looking for. Yeah, exactly. Ways to tell stories. That would be a good show. I would do that for you. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, future collaboration. <laughs> well, fantastic. Uh, thanks for running through some of those. But if someone, say, were to want to find more of these stories in your very detailed breakdowns, where might they go? They can go to <laughs> Skeptical Inquirer. Most of my stuff was on there. Yeah, there's a lot of really good breakdowns, like the ones we're talking about with the actual photos. Yes. So if you're having a hard time visualizing some of this and you're like, wait a second, I need to see it, that's where it is. And and yeah, the Xbox Connect, I actually had two videos on that uh, page because I did one with the original version and then they released the second generation, Mm -hmm. which I wasn't going to do, Mm -hmm. but somebody gave me a challenge because I had said something about how the stick figures are anchored. The, the phantom ones, the ghost ones. I know with version two, they're like, au contraire. Yeah, somebody was like, hey, uh, actually two people oh, wow. the same day sent me emails saying, there's a YouTube channel where a guy's using this and the stick figures are walking around like people. Mm. So I was like, all right, that can't happen with the first generation. So let me look. And I looked and I was like, oh shit, yeah. they are. They're moving around. Let's and update this. So I did another video. Started that video not knowing how to do it. Okay. I think I say it in the beginning, like, I don't know how this is done. You're going to learn with me. We're going to figure this out together. And I was able to make a stick figure walk into a scene and knock a doll off the shelf. (laughs) Okay. By itself. Um, So you had a non-physical stick figure knocking off a physical object on camera with the camera never moving. And I was like, wow, this, this is amazing. Yeah. Once I figured it out, which is in the video. I tell you exactly how I do it. Okay. Once you figure it out, it's easy to do any of these things. You can have multiple stick figures in the scene. Microsoft Ghosts. Yes. 2.0. It was fun. Standard plus edition. Yes. <laughs> so you have a couple other amazing projects. I love that you will watch TikTok videos and reply to them. So you'll find people who have posted some kind of clever jump cut or mm-hmm. or just their take on something that they've seen, and you'll just give a quick reply to it. This is what I think about that. You know, I suspect this. You'll just kind of walk us through your thought right. process, which I find super helpful. It's fun. I mean, it's a distraction because TikTok is the fastest growing platform, mm-hmm. the social media platform, and everyone that I know uses it in some fashion and You can do 30-second videos, you can do 10-minute videos, and you can put a lot of content out there all day long. And going through it, it's an easy platform for paranormal things to be put up. There's so many channels where like, oh, my house is haunted. Look at this poltergeist activity. 
And so I scroll through stuff like that. I'm like, you know what? I think I can do that. I think I can recreate that. I wonder if I can, yeah, let me try it. And I have the whole CFI office to try it, Yeah, which is great. I got stairways. I got hallways. I got open areas. I got all kinds of things. Yeah, whatever and, kind of environment. Well, we, yeah, we can recreate that. I got that. it. And I have coworkers that are more than willing to participate. Nice. Um, sometimes I ask Eric all the time, hey, I need a ghost. He's like, yep. What, what do you need? What do I have to do? And he's been a ghost in a lot of my videos. Fantastic. From either like sticking his hand out to try to grab me and then all of a sudden he's gone. You go around the corner and there's no one there oh. to being like a transparent thing. I've had- uh, All our, to reproduce these videos yes, that people are posting. One of our editors for Free Inquiry and sometimes Skeptical Inquirer, Nicole Scott. She's been like a-, a Almost like a, what, what's that? Um, the ring. The oh, ring, yeah. The girl uh-huh. with the hair. Yeah. She's been that for me where like I'm in the library of CFI <laughs> and she's on a cart with her hair down and I'm looking at her and I'm filming it and she's like slowly rising up and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. And I flick the light on and she's gone. She disappears completely. And that was a, such a fun video to make. But everyone's so enthusiastic because they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. we can do this. Yeah, yeah. They've dropped stuff on me. Well, and <laughs> this is fun stuff, like when you get to be participatory and, and make something. Yes. Especially when there's this element of analysis and reproduction. That's really fun Yeah, to be like, oh, let's reverse engineer this. And You're always going to get volunteers. That's we, great. We try to do, uh, when we film that kind of stuff, we always have that second camera that's mm-hmm. filming all of us. Because, yeah, you don't want that to go viral for right. people to say like, uh-oh, we have proof of ghosts. You can right. then say, well, here's the setup. Here's the setup. And you can see exactly how he did it, mm-hmm. what, where the jump cuts were. And, I mean, I love that. I love when the jump cuts happen. And the scene entirely changes, but you don't <laughs> see it because the camera's moving so fast. Mm-hmm. And it's so much fun to do, uh, to recreate. But, yeah, I love showing you. Like, I'll show the quick clip of someone doing their experience, you know, mm-hmm. showing their poltergeist. And then usually I'm like, yeah, we can do that. Let's okay. go. And okay. we get to work. And I'll show you the setup and then I'll show you the finished product. And it's great. I've done anything from disappearing people to portals opening up over my head yeah. and dropping something on me yeah. out of nowhere where you see the whole scene and all of a sudden, boom, That's something's great. there yeah. to a teleporting teddy bear that got <laughs> stuck Halfway through the portal. Oh, I got to see that one. Oh, okay. that's so much fun. So much fun. Yeah. How do people find you on TikTok? Uh, my name on TikTok is Kenny Biddle CSI. Okay. So if you look that up, you'll find me and all the videos are there. Yeah. That's great responses. Uh, another project you have is the Skeptical Help Bar that you open up every Friday. Yes. And bring on guests such as yours truly and Susan Gerbic and Brian Dunning and others to just talk openly. Yeah. And if any of you have any questions along these lines or you see something online that you want to talk about that's how you can hit up kenny biddle in real time yeah it's it's every friday night it started when the uh, the lockdown yeah pandemic hit and you've kept it going nothing to do you know <laughs> we were stuck in and i was like you know what it started it actually started ask the skeptic mm. that's how i just put it up there just went live and waited for people to show up and i did other stuff <laughs> you know i was working i look up oh someone commented all right here you know and then we'll talk about that for a little bit and then it really developed into uh, we have a core following. And it's nice. It's nice. Everyone shows up on a Friday night. I mean, that's pretty cool. After yeah. you're allowed out. Your work week and everything. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, we promote it as like it's a bar. So it's basically you go to your local bar. You see your buddies. You have a couple beers. You drink. You, obviously, you drink. Um, but you talk about <laughs> yeah. different topics. And you're honest about your opinion. And we add on that it's a learning show. So it's live. 
we make mistakes. We keep going through them. If we make a mistake or screw up, we make fun of it. Yeah. But it's a learning show, so we look up things. If you ask me a question and I don't know the answer, I tell you, and then we pull up Google, I share the screen, and we start learning together. Yeah, yeah. We figure it out. Because there's been plenty of times somebody has asked me a question, and they're like, I don't know. I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what that is. Let me look it up. And yeah. we do that. Uh, so Real it's time. fun. And my wife helps me a lot. She takes care of the comment section. Yeah, we keep uh, referring to your wife, the wonderful Donna. Yes. And yes. Uh, the unsung hero. Well, let's sing, sing the heroism of Donna. She is, my problem was that I was doing a Q&A show because this is before I started having guests on. I would get way behind with the questions, mm-hmm. like 20 minutes behind. Oh, wow. So I would see questions pop up and I would try to answer them. And I tend to talk a lot. I don't know if you noticed, <laughs> but I talk a lot. So by the time I got to the next question, it was 20 minutes after they had posted it. Okay. So my wife was like, you're behind. And she kept reminding me. My little helper, I loved it. She, uh-huh. she would love to tell me like, you're 20 minutes behind. Hurry up. <laughs> so finally she offered to help me out. That re- that To be there live yeah. and, and keep things moving. So she sits right off camera and... She'll give me a question, yeah. and if I'm going over, like she'll sit there and you know do the cutoff. <laughs> yeah, he's you know. doing the universal symbol for uh, cut this out. Yes, yes. Yeah, like, like let's move on, or like rolling the fingers, like let's move on, let's nice. go. Yeah, um, that's and then uh, helpful yeah. real time editing. Oh my, it's it's so much helpful, and I stay on track now. What I love about both of those projects we just mentioned is that they, I think, they come out of your restless energy. You're just so excited about all of this that you want to be constantly engaging with it. Because I don't think either of those were on your job description uh, (laughs) when you signed up at CFI. It's just, you know, like you found a good way to get the message out there and encourage people to take that second look. How might one do this if one were trying to do this? Right. Which usually seems to be kind of the underlying motivation. And we have guests on now. Yeah. Like you mentioned, like uh, Brian Dunning, we have Susan Gerbic, Ben Rafford, we had you and Carrie on. Uh, It's always nice talking to you guys. And And all these are on YouTube too, so you can go back and find them. They're all there. And then various people. We've had uh, my friend Aaron, I call him Aaron, (laughs) who's a police officer in Maryland. Um, He came on and we talked about evidence, like what evidence means to him Mm -hmm. versus what it means to me. And it was a great conversation. Daniel Reed, who is another SI author, he came on and talked about different topics about like uh, the Mothman. Because he had a different idea about what the Mothman might have been. Yeah, So we cool. talked about that, which is really cool. We just recently went to the Mothman Festival. Yeah. Is there a, a quick takeaway of like um, a new theory about what the Mothman might have been? I think Joe Nickel came down on the owls. Yeah, it's, it's still bird. Okay, it's still a bird. <laughs> it's still a bird, just a different one. Oh, yeah, there was a special type of bird, right? Kind of like a heron-type bird. Yeah, blue like. heron. Okay, Giant that's blue it. heron. Yeah. yeah, very cool. I mean, it's so fun. The stories are fun, and we still love the mythos of ghosts, of cryptids, right. of all of these things. But I think debunking is totally the wrong word, too. The, the, the investigation process is fun. Yeah. It's really fun to figure out how did we get this story to the point where it is now? I always try to just say that debunking is a result of an investigation. It's not what I set out to do. Mm-hmm. I don't try to debunk things. I try to solve the mystery. Yeah. That's what it is. It's a mystery. We don't know what caused something. Or someone, whoever contacts me has an experience. and They don't know what happened. So they call me, and that's what I do. I try to go in there and see if there's enough information first. That's important. Mm -hmm. Because if it happened like 60 years ago, and the only thing we have is one person's memory, Mm -hmm. that's not enough. 
Yeah. At that point, you always say, oh, well, that's a really cool story. I wish I was there. Yes. Wish there was some way we could reproduce that. But but if there's enough information, sharing. then we get into it. Yeah. And my goal is to solve it, to figure out what happened, and then honestly report that. So if I can do that, no matter what the answer is, yeah. if one day it turns out to be a ghost. Right. And how will we find that out? By people asking the questions and doing this kind of research. Exactly. Uh, Eventually, yeah, if there is the, what is it, the white crow? Something like that. (laughs) (laughs) If eventually there is the real deal, that's how they'll be discovered. Right. And verified. Speaking of which, that's a good segue. You and I both participated in a live demonstration today of the CFIIG $500,000 Paranormal Challenge. Yes. So uh, this is the largest active prize. You've all heard of the James Randi Million Dollar Prize. Right now, CFIIG's is the largest one uh, in operation. And we had an applicant during this conference today, as we were talking, who had the claim that she could move clouds under her will. Yes. And then also it seemed like she could maybe make them disappear, but it seemed like the primary claim was moving clouds on command in a drastic way that would be noticeable. Yes. Yeah. And all credit to Stan West from the group who was in communication with her, Jim Underdown, who is the the head of the CFIIG. They got this set up at the conference, but a bunch of us went out. We were supposed to be down at a, a little meeting spot and there were no clouds visible right. at all. So we moved all together and got on top of the parking garage by the Flamingo yes. in Las Vegas, yep. <laughs> where the conference is being held. The things that happen in Vegas. <laughs> but we found some clouds low line and yeah, you know, yeah. Off, off in the distance. Yep, and and could sort of identify them and point to individual cloud clusters. Like, okay, it's right above the Westin Hotel, or yeah. you know, let's focus on all the clouds to the left of, of, a pole. of yeah. the pole. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it was fun to kind of watch that back and forth communication just to clarify. Okay, what clouds are we affecting? Okay, where are we going to make them move? And I'd love to get kind of your take on this and recounting. I, this was the first time I participated. In, in one of these tests oh, um, with with you guys. Yeah. So it was fun to watch and see how everyone was so professional. And, and I want to stress that because it's not like a bunch of skeptics got together and was like, ha ha, we're going to prove you wrong. No, everyone was so polite, so professional, and it just showed the professionalism I'm, of the group. I'm glad to hear that. And, you know, often we do have the matching shirts. We didn't this time. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, like that is something we do think about a lot because we don't want to intimidate the person and have too many right. hangers on or people in their face. Uh, you and I were both uh, taking video of the whole process. And, you know, I think both of us, I could see it in your actions as well. We're trying not to get between her and the clouds, right. not to be right in her face. She was probably aware of us, but, you know, we didn't want to be distracting her. And another thing that we do before a test is we want to make sure that the person feels confident. Like, are these right. the conditions? And what were some of her conditions? Uh, so from what I heard, she had started out by saying she could move the clouds. She could force them to move independently of any environmental conditions, mm-hmm. which, okay, that would be awesome. I mean, that would actually be world changing. Oh, no you, kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about like weather control. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even think about it at the time, but she'd be like Storm from the X-Men. Yeah. Yes. 
That'd be cool. Yeah, well, <laughs> no, I was totally nerding out now. Yeah, yeah. And like, it's so funny. I feel the energy. We both want it to be real. Yeah, like, please, please do it. I want to see that. Which is another weird uh, conflict of attitude is you do want them to succeed. Yes. On some level. Uh, and then on the other level, you want it to be real before right. you give away right. that half a million dollars. So, yeah. So she, that was the first test. Mm-hmm. She tried to move a specific cloud. And then it it didn't go well. So it was supposed to, as we were looking at it floating just above the Westin Hotel to the left, it was supposed to go dramatically to the left, originally to like the Ferris wheel. It's not a Ferris wheel, but the link. It's this giant spinning thing that looks like a Ferris Ferris wheel wheel on (laughs) steroids. Yeah. Yeah. And then we were a little more accommodating and said, okay, just get it over to that new giant dome that they built in Las Vegas. This glowing, I was going to call it monstrosity. It's, It's an amazing thing to behold at night but still yeah the cloud was actually kind of going the opposite direction yeah i noticed that the wind was blowing in the opposite direction right which is good that's yeah. i mean as soon as i heard about the test that's the first thing that came to mind like make sure we know wind direction and ask to go to the the opposite direction right and all of you at home or wherever you're listening are thinking clouds do all kinds of things on their own they disappear they they show up they you know it's fluids and right. you know, another fluid and that's all the kind of stuff we were trying to anticipate, too. Let's make sure it's not something that can happen naturally. And kept repeating to her, you know, this needs to be noticeable. Yes. And significant. Extraordinary. Yes. Yep. Out of the ordinary. I want to look up and go, holy shit. But nothing happened. We would give her five minutes to accomplish yes. the agreed upon task. Yes. And we did this three times in a row. And just wasn't happening. There were two attempts at moving things and then one attempt at like just clearing out the clouds, like you said, on the left hand side. Right. And then afterwards she was saying, well, okay, but I'd kind of like to try. And she wasn't really saying that it didn't work or that her powers were somehow compromised. But now she started talking more about how, well, you know, I'd prefer the clouds be on the side of the sun because whenever it's really successful, they're between me and the sun. Like, okay, well, that's a different claim. (laughs) Might have been helpful to know beforehand. To me, it was changing. Mm -hmm. She changed the rules. She tried to change. The goalposts, yeah. Yeah, she tried to change what she could do um, with each test because it didn't work. First, she wanted to move one of the clouds that we picked and that wasn't good enough she didn't like that her energy wasn't in that cloud Mm. like Mm -hmm. that was her words right it was in the clouds in the back so we changed it to that one and said move it over and we gave it a shorter distance too Mm -hmm. and it's hard like when we're trying to to do distances or or describe the distance yeah it was going to be a significant distance especially because the clouds were not moving yes like nothing nothing was moving yeah yeah and then by the third attempt she had changed it to where she said she could take this whole section of clouds that we saw in the distance and make them disappear. Mm -hmm. It didn't happen. And one of the things she said that really stood out to me was that when she looked at it, she's like, oh, I knew, I saw these were turning like dark gray, so I knew they were going to fade. And when she said that, I was like, well, so you were expecting them to fade naturally, Mm -hmm. but you seem to be trying to take credit for that. Like you were going to try right. to take credit yep. that in the within that five minutes, if they dissolved, yeah, you were going to take credit, right? When you already knew it was going to happen, yeah. And I, I feel like that kind of response is a predictable, but yes. b indicative of 
how the storytelling normally happens when they're doing this on their own, yeah. where they can just kind of retell the story a little bit more, a little bit more each time to give themselves more credit for things that just would have happened regardless. Right. In this case, the clouds, but in other situations, other phenomena. Yeah. I mean, it was going to happen anyway. And I think that's pretty much what we were hearing anyway. Yeah. As she described what she could do and how she had done it before, it just sounded like she was looking up the sky, natural phenomenon, and... I don't know if she was purposely taking credit for it. Mm-hmm. I think things happened with the right timing. Yeah. And it maybe convinced her that maybe she had something to do with it. Okay. Yeah. So I don't think she was outright lying to us. I don't think she was trying to deceive us. That's, a, I think, a really important point. She really does believe that she has this ability. Yes. And we did not disabuse her of that right. in this test. And she had a whole process that looked very interesting. She wasn't just staring at the clouds. She was moving her hands. She was looking through her phone camera, doing these very dramatic kind of like waving of the hand and twitching of the fingers. But uh, at the point where she had done these three trials, five minutes each, and nothing had happened, we told her, well, officially it was supposed to be three out of five. Right. That That's no longer possible. I think the hardest part of... All of these tests that the CFIIG does is the after discussion where you have to, first of all, communicate to them that they did not pass, right. but then kind of recommend that if they want to reapply again in a year, that they need to test this out on themselves, try it again, right? and hopefully this time be aware of what we're looking for. And so we're trying to teach them a little bit of the scientific method. Call it in advance. Write right. down what it is that you intend to do. And then after it happens, was it exactly what you said? Or did you kind of change your expectations right. as it happened? And that was part of the, the professionalism that I, I saw. You guys really handled it nice. I mean, I, so nice. Okay. It wasn't, again, it was not a point your finger and go, aha. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we don't want you. them to leave with their head down, you know, feeling right. like they've been defeated or lost or something like that. Because there's probably already an embarrassment. Of course. Uh, you know, because yeah. they did this. And I mean, she, her hand movements, I was like, this is like Doctor Strange. This is the force. You mm-hmm. know, we're, we're mm-hmm. doing all this stuff the way she was doing it. And nothing's happening. And to be honest, I felt bad for her. I really did because she really looks like she was into it. Nothing was happening. And here she is in front of all of these people. Yeah. You know, you got to know, like if if I was her, I'd be like, they're talking about me. Yeah. I know they're talking about me. But when she left, by the time she left, everyone like Jim and Stan, Stan, uh, they gave her advice. They said, hey, you know, if you really believe this, if you know you can do this, then we suggest you practice. You do know what we expect now. You know, we want to see a dramatic movement, break those clouds away from everything else and fly around. Because frankly, that is what she said she could do too. So practice, you know where we're going to test you. Mm -hmm. We're going to be here next year. Take a video, send us the video, show us your progress. Show us. Yes, show us what's going on. And then next year when you come back, if you come back, Mm -hmm. you should have practiced, you should have mastered it and... We can, we can view it again. Yeah. We'll test it again. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll gladly come out. I had a lot of fun doing it. And uh, yeah, I feel like she was well-intentioned and, mm-hmm. and it was a good conversation afterward. And hopefully she does start to kind of catch on, sort of like you did in your story. Yeah. Uh, just sort of being aware of the underlying factors and kind of how she was telling the story to herself. Right, uh, right. Or, or she gets those clouds moving and we, we see it and give her half a million dollars. Awesome. You yeah. Know, like, hey. That's even better. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody gets a Nobel Prize. Yeah. Just like you. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoy it not because she failed. Mm-hmm. I want to make that clear. I enjoyed it because it was a good test. It was a 
very meticulous process. I got to see the entire process, followed it through to the end, mm -hmm. and it was nice to see all that and the attitudes of everyone involved. Yeah. Um, she yeah. did not leave angry. She did not leave hurt or crying or just hating us. Right. We left peacefully, smiling. Which Everyone was fine. Is usually the case. Yeah. Though well, sometimes, yeah. you know, the next day you hear a different level of, because they've had time to think about it and reflect, and then they yeah. come back with a different, uh, I, I'm Ex trying not to say excuses, but, you know. They are. Yeah. They, they Rationalizations, really are. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see tomorrow. <laughs> well, uh, in a related note, one other thing I'd, I'd like to ask you about is uh, you've given a really great presentation on just interacting with other people in the paranormal community, in, in some of these other belief communities that you were once part of yes. and that I think you have a certain sympathy with because, you know, you remember being in those shoes. I remember being in those shoes. Uh, and you talk about a Patrick Swayze role. And I was wondering <laughs> if you could just share that because I think it's a, a really good encapsulation of what I, I hope Carrie and I are doing with our show. But I think that's really important for everyone to remember. So the Patrick Swayze rule is basically be nice until it's time not to be nice. Yep. And it's from Roadhouse, <laughs> one of my favorite movies, <laughs> even though acting is, uh, I love it. A I great just, message, though. Yes, it is. Because being nice is the best path to getting along, working together, and moving ahead. Mm -hmm. Skeptics, believers, they're always like butting heads. We are on two sides of the fence. and we work against each other. We try to inject critical thinking and logic and reason. And sometimes we're a-holes about it. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. We are. We, we can really all are. point to times when we ourselves have done that. Yes. And when, you know, our friends and fellow travelers have done that as well. Yes. And then you have people on the believer side, which I'm, I'm totally stereotyping the two sides, but the believer side where they, they have these beliefs since birth mm -hmm. and it's very difficult to give up those beliefs very difficult. And when someone challenges them and you don't have the supporting data or knowledge to back up your belief, mm -hmm. you get into defensive mode. You right. get combative. Right. Um, and both sides do it. But the, I see believers tend to do it more because they don't have anything to support their argument. So instead of fighting, constantly fighting, uh, almost like uh, um, eternal struggle mm -hmm. um, going around and around and around, let's try to find some common ground Let's be nice, be polite, like today, the test. Very polite. We got together. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's agree on some terms and let's figure it out. So by finding common ground, working together, being polite and respectful. Keeping of the lines other, of communication open. Yes. That's key. That's key because if I can offer explanations that help you understand better, you can accept them, you can reject them, mm -hmm. but at least we're talking. Yeah. And if you want to reject what I said, Okay, that's fine. But that's but just this moment. It could that's change just later. Moment. Yeah. But later on, you might remember that we talked. We didn't agree, but I wasn't an asshole about it. <laughs> you know, we were respectful. I was like, all right, you know, that's your choice. I'm not going to force you. Yeah. But I'm going to go about my business and maybe they'll come back to me. And that's been my experience. People do come back and ask, like, hey, you helped me with this before. We discussed this. I'd like your opinion on it. Yeah. You know, or maybe a few days later, they think about what I said right. and realize, yeah. oh, you know what? You might have had a point. Mm -hmm. Okay, tell me more. So with that, I say I try to be nice as much as possible, and it gets me invited to paranormal conferences. Yeah. I go and I speak at them. That's so cool. Token skeptic. That's so cool. They let me set up my skeptical help booth. 
which yeah. is a a, a <laughs> it, version of Lucy's um, psychiatric <laughs> stand. Yeah, the doctor is in. They let me set it up. Yeah, they ask questions. I get to interact with people. It's great. There's also the time not to be nice. Yeah, and that's I try to keep that on a, the rare side. But sometimes you just can't have a discussion with someone, mm-hmm. or they're doing damage. They're doing harm to someone. Yeah, yeah. And when that comes up. I'm not going to be nice about it. I, I think that end coda of the Patrick Swayze line is is important to remember because you, you do want most of the interactions to be nice, but there, yes. there are parameters, there are boundaries. So. Yeah. Well, we could literally go on for hours, and I, and I hope we get to talk some more sometime because you have so many really excellent investigations that you've done. And and that's why I do think of you in my mind as like the preeminent person to go to if, you, if you've got something that needs to be analyzed uh, because you have both the knowledge and just the enthusiasm uh, yeah. to go after it. So it's inspiring to me. Oh. And um, it's always fun to see you here at PsyCon. Likewise, man. Whoo, what an interview. <laughs> <laughs> I endorse everything that was said. <laughs> Carrie hasn't listened to all of it yet, but I assume you will. If not, I will. By all means... <laughs> Come on the podcast later and decry anything (laughs) that we got horribly wrong. No, I I love the work that they do out there. Um, And and Kenny's great. We've been on his show before. Yeah. And he's just in the trenches, always looking for fun investigations. So we'll link uh, in the show notes and on the the Facebooks, the links to some of the articles that we mentioned here. But yeah, check out his stuff, his writing for Skeptical Inquirer. It's awesome. Hooray. And speaking of interviews and following up on a recent one, uh, Brian Dunning's documentary, The UFO Movie They Don't Want You to See. Oh, no. Is now on YouTube. Who's they? Just popped up there. Uh, You know, the Kevin Trudeau shadow government Mm, people. They They don't want you to see it. Got it. Yeah, it's supposed to be a bit of an enticement, like, uh uh-huh. Right, right, right. (laughs) But in in this case, they is probably uh, a lot of... Oh, right. It's about a... a, It's like the Proponents of UFOs. Right, right. The one Linda Moulton Howe perhaps doesn't want you to see. Tom DeLonge from Blink-182. They don't want you to see. Jimmy Church. He's one of they that doesn't want you to see. (laughs) George Norrie, he doesn't want you to see it. They don't want you to see it. See, they don't want you. But you can see it on YouTube. So somebody wants you to see it. And yeah, I think that's I think that's it for 2023. Oh my gosh. So we will come back to review 2023. I mean, not the year, but like what Psychic said about 2023. (laughs) How many stars would you give 2023? (laughs) Oh my God. No joke, this was the worst year of my adult life. Wow. And that's including all these, uh, the heat of the pandemic years. Well, I shouldn't say worst. Actually, that's not true. It's been sort of a growing time. It's been the most stressful. Yeah. Most stressful year of my life. Yep. So here's looking forward to a 2024 (laughs) for you, for our listeners. Hopefully a lot of positive developments. Yeah. Has it been a good year for you? Yeah. Great. Busy year. Great. Yeah. Kenny, has it been a good year for you? Overall thumbs up. Kenny. Kenny. Uh oh, gotta go. <laughs> We've got an and remember from him. That will be him carrying on the spirit of 2024. <laughs> oh, and by the way, our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. This episode was edited by Ross Blotcher. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. You can support this and all our interviews and investigations by going to MaximumFun.org forward slash join. Yes. Thank you so much to everybody who supports us and what we do. It makes it possible. We do have social media. Yeah. I'd say right now Facebook is the most active of them. You can Mm -hmm. usually find like some pictures from a recent uh, episode or if you ping me there and say like, hey, where's the picture that you mentioned? (laughs) 
Yeah, if you tweet at me and ask for like a very specific photo, I'll find it on my phone for you. That's <laughs> uh, I, the extent of my social media. I'll do it. I did post supermodel Jesus there asking if people were oh, Team yes. Carrie or Team Ross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it's been very spirited. Okay. I would say most people are Team Carrie. Okay. Like, more nah. just like, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, even people are like, oh, he seems like the kind of guy who would do, you know, insert obnoxious oh, okay, okay. behavior here. Okay, if it's somehow... Uh, intrinsically unattractive to those people right right yeah, but others are like oh dreamy yeah I get yeah it. well you know our mutual friend Stephen bradford long whose show we've both been mm-hmm. on uh he also finds supermodel jesus oh, yeah. very attractive very I don't apparently wa- yeah i don't want to get too into it because they'll have to upgrade the rating of this podcast <laughs> he, he takes it to it a level i hadn't <laughs> but that's cool everybody has their own not that there's anything wrong with that <laughs> Indeed. Uh, anyways yeah you can find us on some social media <laughs> yeah just, i don't know want it bad enough go find us yeah interact and then we'll be like oh people are looking at this <laughs> <laughs> it's been a really tough year you guys oh. we're busy uh but you can also support us by buying a jumbotron maximumfund.org slash jumbotron yes you can uh you can support us at bookshop.org yes bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash oh no there we are I should add some new book recommendations because I've I been should I've been cramming in a lot of books right before the end of the year yeah, yeah yeah okay I'm gonna this was not a good year for reading so you know what mm. that's always a good barometer that it's not my best year if I'm having a hard time finding uh, time to read yeah 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 I've read a lot but not a lot of finishing books because mm. it's a lot of research gotcha okay I am going to update my Carrie's recommendations on bookshop.org today. That is my commitment to you, the listener. I'll do mine tomorrow. Okay. Very good. Clap, 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 clap. Put that on my to-do list as I'm editing. And remember. The quote that I always end my shows with is never stop learning. If you need a laugh and you're on the go, try S-T-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I. Hmm. Were you trying to put the name of the podcast there? Yeah, I'm trying to spell it, but it's tricky. Let me give it a try. Okay. If you need a laugh and you're on the go, call S-T-O-P-P-P-A-D-I. It'll never fit. No, it will. Let me try. If you need a laugh and you're on the go, try S-T-O-P-P-P-D-C-O-O. Ah, we are so close. Stop podcasting yourself. A podcast from MaximumFun.org. If you need a laugh, and you're on the go. Maximum Fun. A worker-owned network. Of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.